0: This is the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from September 11th by Brother Todd Burgess, titled Matthew 5, verse 13. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Matthew 5, verse 13. The last several weeks, we've been going through those first 12 verses of Matthew 5, and we looked at the the Beatitudes of Jesus. And he was teaching his disciples about how they were to live as a child of God, how they were to allow the spiritual attitudes in their lives be changed by the Holy Spirit and basically how the church is to operate. And so these changes that we we, we saw are not something that we can do in our own strength, in our own power, but they're changes the Holy Spirit in us does through Uh, through his power and his strength. And we see that they involved, uh, the first three attitudes we saw dealt with the spiritual poverty that we we have within us. As a Christian, where that godly humility and godly sorrow for sin and a godly meekness is instilled within us by God's Spirit. And we're able, because of that, able to minister and do things that we wouldn't be able to do otherwise. And so uh, that that spiritual poverty then turns to a spiritual passion where we have a passion for Christ. We have a a passion for hunger and thirst for righteousness. We have a passion for God's mercy that he has placed in us to be given to those who don't deserve it because we didn't deserve God's mercy. And so this is the passion that has been changed in our lives by the Holy Spirit of God in us. And we we see from that passion that there's a pure heart before God. And how these things continue to grow and continue to, 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 to change us to, to the point when persecution comes, when hardships come, we now have a perseverance that takes place in our lives. A perseverance that would not be available without the Holy Spirit doing the work the Holy Spirit does. And so that see perse- that perseverance enables us to be that child of God that, that is that peacemaker. And believe me, no one likes being a peacemaker because usually... When you're trying to be a peacemaker, both sides go against you. And so, but that's what we're called to be. One reconciling people to God first and then to one another, each other. And so Jesus after laying this foundation down and his teaching with his disciples, he now goes on to sharing with his disciples what we refer to as the two similitudes. And that basically these things they illustrate what we should be like. Okay, this is what we should be like. We should be like salt. We should be like light, all the two similitudes Jesus is using. And if the Holy Spirit of God has and has been working in us for these proper attitudes through the Beatitudes that Jesus taught, then we're going to see in our lives that we are being like light. Not perfect, but we see those changes taking place. And that, that those things now become a natural expression in our lives. See, before it was natural for us to, to sin and not think a, a thing about it, right? I mean, before we knew, knew Christ, we would sin, we would do this, we'd say that, oh, well, you know, wouldn't think a thing about it. But now, with this new attitude that, that God has placed in us and worked out through us, and it's a lifelong process. This ain't, oh, I'm done now, I'm good. No, it continues. We begin to have our natural expression changes. Now we say something harsh or, 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 or mean to someone, it's like, oh, I should have done that. When before it said they deserved it. You see, it changes. And so we are to be like these two things that, that Jesus is going to uh, share with us. And the first one we see in verse 15 is that you are the salt of the earth. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come to your word, Father, may your Holy Spirit just guide us today. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to do an examination in our lives. And we need to humble ourselves to listen to that examination that your Holy Spirit is going to do. And Lord, if we find that there's areas in our life that we're not being the salt that we're to be, that we will make changes. So, Father, may your Holy Spirit just guide us as we learn about your word today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, when you look at salt, salt does three things. Okay? Salt purifies, salt cleanses, and salt preserves. Those three things. And so, the purer salt is, the clearer it it becomes everything about that the table salt that you got on your table that's all nice and white what made that salt white was impurities that was added to the salt because pure salt you can see through it is clear it's like looking at water you see through it but if you can't see through water impurities have been added okay that's why you, that's why we get tea and coffee and all these other kind of things okay so We got to keep that in mind. So, what we need to do, first of all, we need to understand what is the importance of salt. All right, salt is very important. Now, if if I were to preach and and tell about the importance of salt in our lives today, whoopee. Because we don't see salt the way they saw salt in Jesus' day. So, we have to go back and and understand the context of what Jesus is saying in his daytime, in his lifetime. To his disciples, okay? And so the importance of salt in the days of Jesus is very important. Uh, in some regions of the world, in, 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 in Jesus' day, salt was valued equal to that of gold. Otherwise, you'd, you'd pour out an ounce of gold, and you'd pour out an ounce of salt, and, and there you go. That's how, you, that's how they traded. In many areas, all the trade routes that we read about in our history books... You want to know what opened up the vast majority of those trade routes? Salt. They were trading for salt. These areas were rich in salt, and they would open a trade route to go get that salt and bring it back to what we refer to as the Middle East, and that, and that, and that area, that was, that was the metropolis of, of the world back then. And so, when we look at salt from Jesus' perspective, it brings on a different importance, From the Hebrew culture, we've read about all the sacrifices that had to be made. We've read about all the the incense offerings that that were offered. All these things. But you wonder what all these things had in common? Salt was commanded by God to be added to all of these offerings. Now, think about that. You add salt to an offering, and in many places, salt, an ounce, salt, or an ounce of gold, an ounce of salt. It was expensive. So you think about when when Mary and Joseph had to give that little turtle dove. They had to add salt to it. These, these, These offerings became more important. And so we have to understand this. Um, every in Leviticus 2.13, it says this. and, And when it says meat offering, it's referring to a grain offering. It says, In every oblation of my meat or grain offering shalt thou season with salt, neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking. Otherwise, don't go skimping on it. Okay, there's enough. I dropped a few grains on there. We're good. No, don't let it go lacking. Be generous with it. And so don't let it be lacking from thy meat offering. And here's, and here's the, the part on that. With all thy offerings thou shalt offer salt. All of it. They would offer salt. See, these sacrificial offerings were burnt up. Why do I want to put the salt on there? It's just going to burn us. What a waste, right? That's what was commanded of God. Think about this. We need salt today, don't we? Salt is in our blood. Too much salt, too little salt, what happens to us? We die. It's that simple. We get too much, too little salt in our blood system, we die. There has to be a balance, just the right amount. See, we have to understand the purpose of salt. Salt in these offerings made it a sacrifice to give. And we have to understand when you're dealing with sacrifices in the Old Testament, sacrifices, they represent our service to God. That's what sacrifices refer to. They represent our service to God. And so if we're going to add salt to our service to God, what's that mean? It means the salt should be purifying it. It should be cleansing it and preserving it. Which means, I'm going to kind of jump jump from the, from the, from the, to the back a little bit here. the message, that if you're doing everything in the flesh, it means you're not adding salt to your service for God. Because you're the one doing it all, and it's not the, what God wants you to do. Okay? This is what it's dealing with. In their incense offerings, what do the in, incense ra- offerings represent? They represent the prayers. The prayers. Exodus 30, 34, and 35, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Take, and I'm going to butcher these names so you can laugh now. It says, Take sweet spices, stock, and annika, and galabanum, and pure frankincense. That's an easy one. With these sweet spices, there shall be equal amounts of each. You shall make of these an incense, a compound according to the art of the perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. Salt makes things pure and holy. That's why they're salted. See, this is an incense. And again, incense symbolizes the prayer of the saints that go before God. We find this in several passages of Scripture. One of them is Revelations 8, verse 4. And the smoke of the incense, which came from the prayers of the saints, ascended up for God out of the angel's hand. Incense. This is probably why Paul wrote in Colossians 4, 6, he said this, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. See, the importance of salt is it cleanses us, purifies us, and preserves us. Otherwise, our service And our prayers before God. If they've been salted, then guess what? God will receive them as holy and righteous before him. If they're full of me, he's going to spit them out of his mouth. He doesn't want them. Because they're like filthy rags. He doesn't want that stuff. And so that's the importance of salt. Now, the purpose of salt, I've kind of alluded to, but when you look at the three functions of a salt, really... It boils down to one thing, that the purpose of salt does one thing. It preserves. It is a preservative. And it preserves by cleansing and purifying whatever it take. It gets rid of, doesn't allow these um, things to come in. Otherwise, it restrains a process that we would talk to like putrefication. That's an ugly sounding word. And I'm glad it is that way because that's exactly what it means. Okay? Salt's a preservative and it restrains putrefication or corruption from taking place in whatever's been salted. You've, you've been out hunting and you want to save the, the animal skin, you salt it. So it doesn't continue to rot and, 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 and fall apart. That's what it does. In the Scripture... Putrefication is seen as what? Leaven. Leaven is. What does leaven do? See, salt has the opposite effect as leaven. Okay. See, in bread, when you add leaven to bread, it causes the bread to rise. Right? And we all oh, that looks nice, nice little ro- raised loaf of bread. But really, all, all it's doing. It doesn't add anything to the bread. It just puffs it up with a bunch of warm air. That's all it's doing. And actually, what it's doing, it's doing more than just puffing it up. It's actually spoiling the bread. Leaven spoils what you when you put it in something, it spoils that thing faster. Now we like it in bread because it puffs it up. It's a lot better than trying, trying to eat that bread without leaven. But you can't, the bread doesn't last very long. It starts to mold and mildew and all the, It starts to putrefy. That's what leaven does. And so the Jewish practice of cleaning out leaven in their homes before the Passover, you got get to that, get that leaven out, that sin. That's what leaven always represents. Or Jesus' rebuke of the, quote, leaven of the Pharisees, there are clear teachings about how leaven puffs up. See, leaven has always in Scripture symbolized sin and the influence of, of the sinful world that we live in. So, when you start looking at some of the parables of Jesus and talk about leaven, sometimes people mis- misinterpret it because they look at, at leaven as a good thing. It's not as sinful, folks. Leaven's always sin. Whereas salt symbolizes that which is pure, that which is pure and cleansed. It preserves. Salt restrains that putrefaction process from taking place. It holds it back. Otherwise, when our sacrifices and our incenses have been salted, it means we have humbled ourselves before God and we're wanting to do God's work and not our work. We're praying our prayers are the way God would have them be, not the way we want them to be. See, there's the difference. And so we've seen the importance of salt and the purpose of salt, but now let's look at the lessons from salt. And I've already kind of alluded to these lessons already, but this is important. Because, again, Jesus says that you are the salt of the world, right? That's what we need to understand. And so we need to make sure that we're being salty. And so the lessons of salt, Jesus here is teaching his his disciples about how they are, how his church, because he's teaching about the church, okay, how we we are that restraining spirit. Now, before you go off and say, no, the Holy Spirit of God is the restrainer. Let me say that right up front, okay? The Holy Spirit of God is that restraining spirit. But where is the Holy Spirit of God today in us? So, we if the Holy Spirit of God is in us, then the Holy Spirit's a restrainer, we are the restraining spirit because we have the Holy Spirit of God in us. And what does the resta- what does the restra- restraining spirit do? It holds back Yes, the putrefaction that's around us, but it also holds back God's rightful judgment on sin. It does. We see this example in Sodom and Gomorrah with Lot. In Genesis 19, 22-24, it says, Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot, this is the angel speaking, I cannot do anything till thou become thither. Otherwise, they're supposed to go over to Zor, the city, because they said, "Well, the mountain is too far. We'll go to Zor, this little this little village." And the angel said, "Fine, go there." Because he's saying, "I can't do anything until you get to safety." That's what the angels said to Lot. And you notice, as you, as you read further, that in verse twenty three and. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zor. Then the Lord rained down Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from heaven. That's interesting, isn't it? God would not bring any of his wrath on Sodom and Gomorrah until Lot was out of the picture, was safely away. See, this is a clear picture on how God will not send wrath on anything. Because if any one of his children are in the area, they are the restrainer from God's judgment coming to that area. Lot was an example. And we know we all know from Lot, yes, he was a true believer, but he wasn't the greatest believer. Okay? But he was still one of God's still one of God's. Look at the examples. Noah and the flood. Not until Noah and his family was in the ark and the doors were closed did the first drop of rain come on the earth. It had to be preserved. Look at the pre-tribulation. I believe in the pre-tribulation. The rapture of the church. God will not bring the wrath talked about in Revelation until his bride, the rapture church, is lifted out. Now, you look at Sodom and Gomorrah, you look at knowing the flood, how much time was there between them being lifted out and God's wrath coming down? Not very much. Okay. And when I look at the, the scriptures of the wrath, the actual wrath is poured out in the last three and a half years. Could we be here that long? I don't know. I hope that we're out before the seven-year part starts. <laughs> All right? But we could be here until the actual wrath part. But there are some scriptures that, that would probably say otherwise. Now, let, let, let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 7.14, where it says, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified, that means set apart, by the wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband or a believing husband. Else were your children unclean, but now they are holy. Now, when you look at that verse, we need to understand what's being taught here. See, we see in, that, in, our, in our text with Lot, Lot was the believer. I don't believe his wife was a believer. I don't believe his daughters were believers. But because Lot was the believers, his wife and children were sanctified. That does not mean they were believers. It means they were spared the wrath of God at that time. You recognize that? See, that's, that's, what, that's what being salt does. It restrains God's judgment. And so we have to understand this. See, as Christians, our presence has an effect on the world around us, even though the world may be unaware of it. The world may be rebelling against it. But that doesn't change our responsibility of being salt. See, as the church, we restrain God's future wrath. As an individual Christian, many times you By your presence in your neighborhood, in your work, at these different places, you restrain God's judgment from some of the law, the evil things, wrong things people are doing because of your influence there. Hopefully, it's a good influence. 2 Thessalonians 2 6 and 7, this is that verse that talks about the, the Antichrist can't be revealed until the Restraining spirit has been removed. So this is one I, I, I hope hold to that shows we'll be gone prior to the seven-year period. Okay? I'll let you read that. So here's the question. We're to be salt. And next week we'll see, or the week after, because I'll be gone next. So I think Randy Coveney is preaching next week. So when we come back again, we'll be talking about light. But... If you have lost your saltiness. See, the last part, this other part of it says, but if thou salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? See, to lose one's saltiness means we are no longer acting as that preservative. We're no longer salty. We're allowing impurities into our lives. And those impurities are things the Bible calls sin. And sin is either things that we commit, the Bible says don't lie, cheat, steal, we commit those kind of sins, or sins of omission, when God says I want you to do this, I want you to do that, and we refuse to do it. Sin. Those are impurities in our lives. We have lost, we begin to lose our saltiness. And the more impurities that come in, the darker the salt becomes. It goes from being clear to white to little shades of gray, and it gets darker and darker. Darker and darker. You ever made homemade ice cream? Tell you put rock rock salt in it, right? You don't put regular salt. You put rock salt to make that salty water. You ever look at a a piece of rock salt? It's pretty gray looking. Tastes like salt, but not nearly as salty. All the impurities are in there. Now, it's important that we, that we understand something here. That if we're not being that preservative, we're not purifying, we're not cleansing in our, in our life, and our actions, then what we're allowing is, is we're allowing the putrefaction of sin, the leaven of sin in our lives to go out around us. We're allowing impurities into our lives. In Mark 9.50, and we're going to go back, hit some of these verses earlier, but 9.50 says, Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, wherewith shall it be seasoned? Have salt in yourselves, and at peace one with another. We have salt in ourselves, folks. Where? How? We have the Holy Spirit in us. See, I'm not salt. That's the Holy Spirit that's the salt who makes us salty. Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to do His work in our lives or are we holding back the Holy Spirit in our lives for doing, doing the work in our lives? Everything we talked about, the Beatitudes, those first 12 verses, are we allowing the Holy Spirit to do, to do all those things in our lives where we are becoming salty? Or are we interfering with the Holy Spirit and so we have impurities in our salt? We only go so far. See, have salt in yourself. And have peace one with another. How do you become salty again? See, salt in its purest form, as I mentioned, is clear. And so as impurities are added, the salt becomes white and more impurities added. It becomes darker and darker. And so by removing those impurities, salt, the saltiness can be restored. 1 Corinthians 10, 18-22 here says, Behold, Israel... After the flesh now this is this is Israel as it says, after the flesh, not necessarily following God's plan, but it talks about the sacrifice system you know are, are, are not they which eat of the sacrifice partakers of the altar? What shall I say then that the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifices to idols is anything see even someone in Israel who was going through the motions of making a sacrifice, that sacrifice was still going before God. Okay? Even though their heart wasn't right. And God would take it and he said, I don't want this. Because it's not from a pure heart, but it was still to God. But now look at the, the, this verse 20. But I say that the things that, which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? See, what Paul is saying here is that we must avoid being enticed by the things of this world. They are impurities that take away our saltiness. See, if we aren't honoring God in what we do, what we say, what we watch, how we act, then we are dishonoring God. There's no middle ground. No middle ground, and yet we want to think there is a middle ground. And so we have to avoid being unequally yoked together. And this, and this, what is referring to here is it's talking about a mingling together. That's what's being referred to here. 2 Corinthians 6, 14-17 says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with belial? And what part hath the, the, him, he that believeth with the infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them. Otherwise, stop mingling together with the things of this world. Stop being unequally yoked. Stop doing the things that we do that are not pleasing to God. So come out from among them and be separate said the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. See, the church, I believe in most of its practices, have adopted the ways of the world instead of the ways of God. Go back and look, at, look, look, look in the history and the, look, look, look in the Scripture and see when the church would do something, how it would do it. And then look at, look at how we do it and see how, what the difference is. See, this has continued to the point that we can no longer distinguish between the church and a social club. We have all the same rules that they have. See, we need to take serious pause, urging to come out from among them and be separate. See, this what Paul is talking about there. It comes from Leviticus nineteen, verse nineteen, where it says, "You shall not keep, or ye shall keep my statutes." Thou shalt not let thy cattle gender with a diverse kind. Makes sense. Thou shalt not sow thy field with mingled seed. Yeah, that's why you, you go out and look. Well, there's a cornfield and there's a wheat field. Makes sense, right? And neither shall a garment mingled with linen and woolen come upon thee. See so what's the truth of what Paul of what Moses was right. What God was telling us here and what Paul was saying. It's the mingling together to the point that you can no longer distinguish between the two. See, the result reveals that the church feels comfortable participating in the world's ways of doing things. Does the world feel comfortable around you as a Christian? Does your lost friends and lost neighbors, lost coworkers, they feel comfortable around you? telling jokes and doing the things the world does and they feel comfortable around you? I think for most Christians, the answer is yes. In fact, many times as Christians, we may just jump, jump right in there and join in a little bit. We've mingled ourselves together. And if we mingle, have mingled ourselves together with things of this world in our personal lives, then we have brought that same thing into the church of God. And allow the same practices to take place there. Because if you were being salt, and those things were taking place around you, those doing it would feel very uncomfortable. Because salt does what? It purifies. It cleanses. And if you're doing being salt then people aren't going to want to do those things around you or you're going to find some folks that are just, oh, yeah, that's one of those Christians. Well, good, I'm going to just be that way. And that's fine. Let them be that way. Because, again, it's, it's showing. And those are the ones that many times God's dealing the most with. But people should not, the world should not feel comfortable around us if we're Christians and we're being salt. I read or I heard the message, listened with this message. A guy said, you know, in a business meeting uh, in a big corporate world, and he was in business with a bunch of execs and they were talking, and he said some off colored joke, whatever, and the guy looked, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't, I, I didn't realize you're here. You know, and he, and he said something about, and used the name, 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 name of the Lord in vain, you know, and, and the guy said, you didn't, say, you didn't use my name in vain. You need to apologize to God. That's whose name you used. And he said that. And that's I, I like that. You know. But see, that's the influence we should have if we're being salt. They shouldn't feel comfortable doing these things around us. Otherwise, we've mingled too much together with the world. See, the Christian church is suffering today by our own choices. We're suffering. We find ourselves in a place where we want to please both God and the world. And, folks, we cannot do that. Now, this is, let's go back to Mark 9, 47 to 49. Now, we read verse 50 about salt is good and have salt in yourselves. But look at these, let's look at these verses prior to that. If thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. It's better for thee to enter the kingdom of, of God with one eye than two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Or the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. For every one shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. There's salt again. If your life is on fire for Christ, and you're being salty, you don't have anything to worry about. But if not, You see, what, what, what we're looking at here in this passage is that we have a choice. And we have to choose between God's way or the world's way. See, all worldly treasures and choosing the world's way and, and, and mingling with the world and all these kind of things, they're all going to be burned up at the, at the judgment seat of Christ for a Christian. You get no rewards. They're gone. But if you're being salty... Then all those things you're living things God's way, what's taking place becomes precious stones, gold, silver, things when the fire hits it, they get more expensive. They get become more valuable. Because they become more pure, more more better for God. And so we have to choose to live the salted life Christ has offered us today. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. The last part of our text here says, in verse 13, it is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and be trodden underfoot of men. See, without the salt, then putrefaction is allowed to take place. And the Christian who has allowed all these impurities into their life is going to get to the point where God's going to say, I want nothing to do with that. If you're a child of God, yes, you get saved, as the script talks about, by the skin of your teeth. See, our service and prayers to God that are salted with salt, they're pleasing to Him because they're pure. They're right. Jesus in Revelation, was, talk, was given, was teaching, or not was, te- but was talking about the, ch- the seven churches. And the one church, the Laodicean church, in Revelation 3, Jesus is speaking to and is rebuking that church for their works because they were lukewarm. He said, I wish they were hot on fire for me, or I wish they were absolutely cold, contrary to me, because then I could do something with them. But they're lukewarm. I'm going to spit them out of my mouth. You know what the best temperature for leaven? Lukewarm. Don't put it in the oven. Put it right down on the counter. Maybe just a little bit, little bit of heat from the stove coming over there. You know, lukewarm. Too cold, leaven can't function. Too hot, leaven can't function. Lukewarmness. That's a Christian who's mingled with the world too much. See, the churches mingled so much with the world that they didn't even realize, the Laodicean church, how far from God they were. They thought they were rich, but in truth, they were absolutely impoverished spiritually. And so we need to, as one would remove the impurities from gold by heating it with a fire and removing the dross off the top, we too must remove the impurities of the world from our lives so that we can remain salty for Christ Paul said come out from among them be separate is that your choice is that what you choose today come out from among them and be separate I hope so I hope so Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, visit our website at gbcak.org.